everyone. Welcome back to Yale Vascular Review. We're your hosts, Kayuri and Ocean, and we are here to bring you another exciting episode. Our topic for this episode is abdominal aortic aneurysms, and we've reviewed the papers published in Journal of Vascular Surgery, European Journal of Vascular Surgery, and Annals of Vascular Surgery over the last few months to select the papers for discussion today. Great, let's get started. The first paper we're going to talk about today was published in JVS March issue. The title is Overview of Screening Eligibility in Patients Undergoing Ruptured AAA Repair from 2003 to 2019 in the Vascular Quality Initiative. The authors include Dr. Mota, Dr. Marcaccio, Dr. Shermerhorn from BIDMC. The authors explain in this study that although efforts such as the screening abdominal aortic aneurysms very efficiently, or SAVE Act, has improved access to abdominal aortic aneurysm screening, certain high-risk populations are currently excluded from the guidelines, yet may benefit from screening. They examined all patients who underwent repair of ruptured AAA to characterize those who are ineligible for screening under current guidelines and evaluate the potential impact of these restrictions on their disease. They identified patients undergoing ruptured AAA repair in the VQI database between 2003 and 2019 and stratified these patients by AAA screening eligibility according to the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Reimbursement Guidelines. A total of 5,300 patients underwent ruptured AAA repair. 66% were screening ineligible. When characterizing the screening ineligible group by sex and risk factors like smoking history or family history of AAA, the largest contributors to screening ineligibility were males less than 65 years of age with a smoking history or family history of AAA males greater than 75 years of age with a smoking history, and females older than 65 years of age with a smoking history. In comparison with ruptured AAAs, prior to implementation of the SAVE Act, the proportion of AAA repair performed for rupture among males undergoing AAA repair in the VQI decreased from 12 to 8%, whereas in females, there was no change. There were no statistically significant difference in screening eligibility for either males or females. They concluded that most patients who underwent ruptured AAA repair were ineligible for initial AAA screening or aged out of the screening window. Furthermore, ruptured AAA rates and screening ineligibility have not improved as much as expected since the passage of the SAVE Act. They suggested that Three high-risk population may benefit from expansion of AAA screening guidelines. Number one, males with a smoking history or family history of AAA between ages 55 and 64 years. Number two, female smokers older than 65 years. And number three, male smokers older than 75 years who are otherwise in good health. Increased efforts to screen these high-risk populations may increase elective AAA repair and minimize the morbidity and mortality associated with ruptured AAAs. Ocean, talking about screening for AAA, this next study looked at costs associated with screening programs and if increasing screening efforts make sense in terms of healthcare-related costs that come with it. The paper is titled Costs of Abdominal Aortic Aneurysm Care at a Regional Veterans Affairs Medical Center with the Implementation of an Abdominal Aortic Aneurysm Screening Program. This was published in JVS in April, and authors include Dr. Lee, 
Kevin Chun and Dr. Dutta from VA Medical Center in California. AAA screening has demonstrated to be cost-effective in reducing AAA-related morbidity and all-cause mortality. However, the downstream care costs of an implemented AAA screening in clinical practice have not been reported. This study was conducted to determine direct regional Department of VA costs in implementing and sustaining a AAA screening program over a 10-year period. A cost data analysis adjusted to 2021 U.S. dollars of a AAA screening program was conducted from 2007 to 2016, where about 20,000 veteran patients aged 65 to 75 with a smoking history were screened at a regional VA medical center. A total of 1,183 patients screened were identified with a AAA greater than or equal to 3 centimeters without history of repair. Estimated screening costs were $2.8 million, or $280,000 annually, in the care of all screened patients. 220 patients required repair. The average cost of elective endovascular repair was $43,021, and that of open repair was $49,871. Screening, implementation, maintenance, and surgical repair cost involved in the management of patients with AAA disease was $13.7 million, with $10,686 per life year lived after repair, and $490 per life year lived after screening for all patients screened. They concluded that despite known limitations, the implementation of a AAA ultrasound screening program is feasible, cost-effective, and a worthwhile endeavor. Thanks, Curie. That was good. I read another paper in the JVS April issue with title, Predictors of Mortality in Nonagenarians Undergoing Abdominal Aortic Aneurysm Repair, Analysis of the National Surgical Quality Improvement Program Dataset. The authors include Dr. Kumar, Dr. Long, and Dr. Welch from Oakland University School of Medicine, Michigan. They used the American College of Surgeons NISQIP database to identify the predictors of 30-day mortality for nonagenarians undergoing endovascular aortic aneurysm repair or open surgical repair. Patients aged more than 90 years who had undergone AAA repair from 2005 to 2017 were identified. About 1,400 nonagenarians met the criteria. 91% had undergone EVAR and 9% had undergone open repair. The overall 30-day mortality was 10%. The patients who had died within 30 days were significantly more likely to have undergone open surgical repair than EVAR. The EVAR group had 30-day mortality rate of about 3% in 1,000 elective cases and 29% in 221 emergent cases. The open surgical repair group had a 30-day mortality rate of about 19% in 47 elective cases and 54% in 80 emergent cases. In the EVAR cohort, the 30-day mortality group had had a significantly greater incidence of dependent functional status, ASA classification of more than or equal to four, perioperative blood transfusion, emergency surgery, and longer operative times. In conclusion, they stated that nonagenarians had incrementally increased but acceptable risk of 30-day mortality with EVAR in elective and emergent cases compared with that reported for octogenarians and cohorts of patients not selected for age. Consideration for EVAR or open repair might be reasonable for highly selected patients, especially for elective patients with the larger AAA diameter for whom the risk of rupture is higher. 
Next, from the May issue of JVS, this paper is by authors Dr. Khan, Dr. Arshina, and Dr. Mollis from UCSD, and it was titled Association of Abdominal Aortic Aneurysm Diameter Indexed to Patient Height with Symptomatic Presentation and Mortality. They stated that the current guidelines have recommended repair of abdominal aortic aneurysms according to the maximal AAA diameter and or its growth rate. However, many studies have suggested that the AAA diameter alone is not sufficient to predict the risk of rupture or symptomatic presentation. They did this study to introduce a novel diameter to height index, or DHI, and test its utility in predicting for symptomatic presentations, including rupture and 30-day and 5-year mortality. The VQI database from 2003 to 2020 was used to identify patients who had undergone open or endovascular AAA repair. The DHI was identified as the AAA diameter in centimeters divided by the height in centimeters, yielding a score of 1 to 10. A total of about 65,000 patients were identified, of whom 16% had presented with symptomatic AAAs, including rupture. Endovascular AAA repair was performed for about 70% of the symptomatic AAAs and 84% of asymptomatic AAAs. The symptomatic group were more likely to be women and black. The mean DHI was higher in the symptomatic group than in the asymptomatic group. Active smoking increased the risk of a symptomatic presentation. However, the use of preoperative statins and beta blockers significantly reduced the odds of a symptomatic presentation. Compared with the AAA diameter, the receiver operating characteristic curve for the DHI to predict for symptomatic status was slightly but significantly higher. The DHI increment was associated with a 1.08 greater odds of 30-day mortality for those with symptomatic AAAs. Similarly, the hazard of 5-year mortality was increased with an increasing DHI only for those with asymptomatic AAAs. They concluded that DHI is a simple tool that could be more effective than the AAA diameter in predicting for symptomatic presentations. The DHI can additionally predict the 5-year mortality after AAA repair for those with asymptomatic AAAs only. That is really interesting, Kiri. So now, the next paper I want to discuss is also from JVS, April issue. Authors include Dr. Scully, Dr. Goodney, Dr. Upchurch, and Dr. Stone. The title of this paper is A Significant Proportion of Current Endovascular Aortic Aneurysm Repair Practice Fails to Meet Society of Vascular Surgery Clinical Practice Guideline Recommended Abdominal Aortic Aneurysm Diameter Treatment Thresholds in the VQI. So, there is mounted controversy surrounding the appropriate use of endovascular aortic aneurysm repair in contemporary practice. Persistent debate hinges on durability, cost, and survival. Accordingly, guidelines have attempted to clarify appropriate EVAR indications. The purpose of this study was to examine trends in EVAR practice throughout the United States and measure compliance with SVS clinical practice diameter guidelines. All elective repairs in the SVS VQI EVAR registry from 2015 to 2019 were analyzed, about 25,000 patients, and the patients with aneurysms confined to infrarenal abdominal aorta were included. Non-diameter compliant EVARs occurred in 38.5%. There were significant variation in clinical practice guideline diameter compliance when stratified by VQI participating centers. This observation was amplified when categorized at the surgeon level. 
Notably, 82% of VQI surgeons were non-diameter compliant in more than 20% of their repairs. Moreover, among the 38.5% of patients failing to meet the diameter thresholds, 22.4% were at high physiological risk as determined by the validated SVS VQI one-year mortality calculator. The one-year survival for the high physiologic risk patients receiving non-guideline compliant EVAR was worse compared with low to intermediate risk patients who were treated within recommended diameter thresholds. A significant percentage of current U.S. EVAR practice fails to adhere to the SVS diameter guidelines, as highlighted by the tremendous variation among VQI centers and surgeons. In light of these issues surrounding durability and cost, efforts to constrain observed deviation from recommended therapeutic size threshold guidelines would likely serve to improve abdominal aortic aneurysm care throughout the United States. I did not know that. That's fascinating information. Thanks, Ocean. Now, I want to bring up the next paper from Annal's March issue, and it was titled Impact of Proximal Neck Anatomy on Short-Term and Mid-Term Outcomes After Treatment of Abdominal Aortic Aneurysms with New-Generation Low-Profile Endographs, Results from the Multicentric Italian Northeast Registry of Endovascular Aortic Repair with the Bolton Trio Endograft, or ITA Endoboot. Authors include Dr. D'Oria from University Hospital of Trieste, Italy, and Dr. Lapidi, among others, from the ITA Endobooth Registry collaborators. The aim of the study was to evaluate the short-term and mid-term technical and clinical outcomes of the Bolton Trio endograft in subjects with AAA requiring endovascular aortic repair, and assessive presence of hostile proximal neck would represent a risk factor for increased failure rates. A retrospective review of all consecutive patients who had undergone elective or non-elective EVAR with the Bolton Trio endograft at five institutions located in the northeast of Italy from 2016 to 2020 was performed. The main exposure variable for this study was presence of hostile aortic neck, HAN, or friendly aortic neck, FAN. A total of 137 consecutive patients were identified. Of these, 46% presented with HAN, while 54% had FAN. Two type 1A endoleaks were detected at completion angiography, all in patients with HAN, but none in patients with FAN. But no type 3 endoleaks were identified in the whole cohort. At three years, survival estimates were 89% and 91% in patients with HAN and FAN, respectively. At three years, patients with HAN had significantly lower freedom from type 1A endoleak as compared with patients with FAN. No significant differences were found between study groups and the three-year estimates of freedom from reinterventions. Their conclusion was that within a contemporary, multicentric real-world experience, EVAR with the Bolton Trio endograft shows a satisfactory safety profile in the immediate post-operative phase and acceptable outcomes during midterm follow-up. Presence of HAN is correlated with development of type 1A endoleak, either early following stent graft implantation or late after EVAR, which in turn may represent a significant factor leading to reinterventions. Curie, talking about AAA repairs today, I want you to remember it is also very important to continue to follow these patients for post op surveillance. And this next paper talks exactly about that. This was published in European Journal of Vascular Surgery in March. And the authors include Dr. Baum and Dr. Hurats from University of Amsterdam on behalf of the Odysseus Study Group. 
The title is Post-Op Surveillance and Long-Term Outcome After Endovascular Aortic Aneurysm Repair in Patients with an Initial Post-Operative CTA Without Abnormalities, the Multicenter Retrospective Odysseus Study. The authors aim to examine the association between adherence to post-operative surveillance and survival and secondary interventions in patients with an initial post-operative CTA without any abnormalities. All consecutive patients undergoing EVAR for intact AAA in 16 hospitals between 2007 and 2012 were identified retrospectively with a follow-up until December of 2018. Patients were included if the initial post-op CTA showed no type 1 or 3 endoleak, kinking, infection, or limb occlusion. This continued follow-up was defined as at least one 16-month period in which no imaging surveillance was performed. Around 1,600 patients were included in the study with a median follow-up of 89.1 months. Cumulative aneurysm-related survival was 99% at 1 year and 96% at 10 years. Intervention-free survival was 96% and 71% at 1 and 10 years, respectively. ASA classification increased in AAA diameter and continued follow-up were independently associated with aneurysm-related mortality. The same variables and age were significantly associated with all-cause mortality. No difference in secondary interventions were observed between patients with continued versus discontinued follow-up. Sensitivity analysis showed worse aneurysm-related and overall survival in patients with continued follow-up. They concluded that discontinued follow-up is not associated with poor outcomes. Future prospective studies are indicated to determine in which patients imaging follow-up can be safely reduced. This next paper, titled The Effect of Diabetes on AAA Growth Over Two Years, was published in April issue of JVS by Dr. Nordness and Dr. Kuchi from Vanderbilt University. Prior investigations have shown that diabetes may be relatively protective of AAA incidence and growth. The Non-Invasive Treatment of Aortic Aneurysm Clinical Trial, NTACT, is a contemporary study of small AAA growth that provides a unique opportunity to validate and explore the effect of diabetes on AAAs. The authors state that confirming the effect of diabetes on AAA growth in this study may present opportunities to explore for clues to potential biologic mechanisms as well as inform current patient management. Of the 261 patients that were included in this trial, 250 had sufficient imaging and were included for the purpose of this study. 22.4% had diabetes, while 77.6% did not. Diabetes was associated with higher BMI and increased rates of hypercholesterolemia and coronary artery disease. Diabetes was also associated with increased frequency of treatment for atherosclerosis and hypertension, including treatment with statins, angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors, angiotensin II receptor blockers, antiplatelet, and diuretic therapy. Baseline maximum transverse diameters were not significantly different between those with and without diabetes. It was 4.32 centimeters versus 4.3 centimeters, respectively. Median growth rate for patients with diabetes was 0.12 cm per year, and for patients without diabetes, it was 0.19 cm per year, which was significantly different on unadjusted analysis.
Diabetes remained significantly associated with AAA growth after adjustment for other relevant clinical factors. Patients with diabetes have more than a 35% reduction in the median growth rates of AAA despite more severe concomitant vascular comorbidities and similar initial sizes of aneurysms. Rapid growth, which is more than 0.5 cm per year, is infrequent in patients with diabetes. And that concludes our episode. Thank you for joining us this month as we screened and surveilled those aneurysms. Please feel free to leave feedback on our Twitter or Instagram posts and be sure to subscribe to Yale Vascular Review on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Thank you everyone for tuning in this month. 